see, am I on? Ooh, that's kind of loud. Patrick leaned over right before we came up and said, uh, it's a short sermon, they invite you back. So I'm faced with the conundrum here this morning. I'd really like to say if you'd please stand and join me for the invitation song. But that would mean you would invite me back. So we're going to be here a while. I'd like to start, uh, and I'd like to ask you to say this five-word phrase with me. Salvation comes from the Lord. I want to say that again. Salvation comes from the Lord. Really, if there's anything I hope that you remember from this morning, I hope that you leave this place and you go through the week remembering that salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation does not come from us. Salvation does not come from our spouses. Salvation does not come from this church. Salvation comes from the Lord. We're going to be repeating that throughout our time together this morning, and I wanted to just start with that so we could get our minds together around this idea. And it comes from Jonah chapter 2. It comes from Jonah. It's the last line of Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. And uh, it's a truth that I, I think we all need to be reminded of and hold on to, that this journey that we're on that this commission that we've been given is really not about us. It's about Lord. And Josh asked me if I would uh, be willing to come and spend some time with you this morning. And I, asked, I said, there's, there's two things I need to know before I come. Number one, what does it pay? Um, and number two, what, what's the topic? Okay, because I, I never commit to speak on anything until I know what the topic is. And Josh has been great, and, uh, and, and, and Josh and Armani have done an outstanding job with the series of Jonah. I've heard every one of their messages at least twice to try to plagiarize as much as possible for this morning. I'm thankful for Josh and his leadership. I hope you know what a blessing you have in Josh Ross. I hope you know even further what a blessing you have in Casey Ross and their family ministry that they're pouring into this church and into this community, just such a good friend. And so I am really nervous. I mean, I could speak in front of a group of teenagers. Where's our teenagers? Raise your hand if you're a teenager so I can focus on you this morning. I can talk to teenagers all day long. I I could talk to a group of parents who were talking about school. It'd be no problem. I am totally wigged out to preach at a church because I know that we all come with a variety of expectations. And of all things, this is place where Josh Ross stands. Those are some big shoes to fill. Armani, isn't this your job as the intern? I mean, this is crazy. I was like, you've got this wonderful dude with huge biceps that could come up here and do this, and you invite me to come. I'm still trying to figure that out, but I'm really nervous because I have such a deep love for Josh, for this place, for the commitment that you've made, and Josh and I have made, uh, we've had so many conversations about how, I love his term, uh, expressions of the kingdom, how this is one expression of the kingdom, an imperfect expression of the kingdom. 
And, and the school where I work is another expression of the kingdom. It's just one expression of the kingdom. And I love how uh, our heartbeats are very similar for the city of Memphis. Our commitments to stay where we are and serve the community in which we're in is very, very similar. And so I'm very nervous because I have a deep love and respect for your mission, for your leadership, uh, for friends that I have in this audience and friends who aren't here who took a skip when they knew I was going to be here today. Long-time relationships. Uh, this church is doing God's work, and God's work is not easy. And so thank you uh, for your commitment to our city and to the kingdom. Uh, it means a lot to, uh, to me, and I think that's one reason why I'm so nervous. But being a school guy, so Josh tells me, he goes, I want you to preach on Jonah 3. And I listened to last week's sermon, and what did Josh preach on? Jonah 3. Kind of figured this out. Being a school guy, I'm the substitute. I'm the substitute teacher for the day, so you can relax. Uh, I really looked for a video to play uh, for about 20 minutes for you this morning. I couldn't find one. Um, but you, this, you know, you're expecting the, the teacher that you just remember the day when you went to class, the class you loved, the teacher you love, and the substitute was there. That's probably what you're going uh, to get today, and I apologize for that. I'm, I'm seriously humbled and honored to be with you and admire uh, what this body is about and what it stands for. I want to make three or four commitments to you before we dive into Jonah. Did you like that wordplay? Dive into Jonah. Um, number one, this is not a Harding Academy sales pitch. I'm very sensitive about that. Very sensitive about that. I love my school. I love our mission. I love our commitment to the community. I love that we are able to uh, partner with pe- uh, churches and organizations and families that I look out and see so many families. Uh, I'd love to sit down with people and talk about that. But this is not the place. I love the Lord, and I love his church more, and I love his kingdom, and I love his word. And, and so for those of you who are out there thinking, oh, great, President of Hardy Academy is there. It's going to be, a, you know, it's not. And I, I'm going to make that commitment to you. Number two, I'm going to make a commitment that at some point along this journey, I'll probably cry, okay? I have a disease. It has yet to be named. I think it's a mixture of a spine of jello and uh, uh, very high emotions, uh, nerves, and passion about what I talk about. And so at some point, I'm going to cry. For those of you menly men out there who that makes very uncomfortable, I'll give you the warning and you can leave. <clears throat> That's probably going to happen. Parents of small children, I want to I make this statement before we begin. If you have children that are school-aged, would you raise your hand? Any school-aged children? I want, I want you to hear from the president of Harding Academy that the most important influence on your child's education is you. Okay? It's not a school. It's not a teacher. It's not a program. It's not technology. It's not the Common Core. We all know it's not the Common Core. It is you. It is you. And your commitment to your children 
to raise them and teach them is the most important thing along their educational journey. Now, having said all of that, my pre-this isn't a Harding sales pitch sermon, I, I am pleased to announce this morning that uh, Patrick made the commitment to, to do a dollar-for-dollar dollar match of a gift up to a million dollars to Harding Academy this morning. So thank you for that. And we'll be taking up another collection a little bit later, and you'll just have to write that check. Just a little note before we begin. I bet Josh's slides don't transition like that, do they? <laughs> huh? Josh is on a ship somewhere right now, and he didn't get to see how cool that was. But I wanted to note that, okay? If anything today, that my transition is way cooler than Josh Ross's. Can you relate to people in Scripture as you read through Scripture? My reaction usually is one of two things. I'm usually very critical. Like, how in the world could you not see that? How, how could you be so short-sighted? Or, or how in the world did you have that much faith to do that? Or, or secondly, my, is uh, a lot of times when I read through Scripture, um, I relate to a point where it hurts. I say, that's a lot like me. Or that is me. Some examples, Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, we're all pretty critical of them because they brought sin, in, sin into the world. And, and as we still do this today, don't we? She made me do it. Right? Okay, we still do that. Ladies, we still say, the devil made me do it. Okay, I, I can really relate to them, even though I'm so critical of them at times. Uh, Moses and, and, and Aaron and Exodus. Uh, just Moses' own inadequacies that he felt in his heart that he was not capable to do what God had called him to do. And so he brought a friend along, Aaron, and all the things that, that God did through them uh, that were uh, really miraculous. Elijah in 1 Kings 18, uh, when he is confronting alone by himself with a very small remnant of followers, uh, the prophets of Baal, and he calls down fire from heaven that burns up everything around it. That's, that's going to be a good movie someday, isn't it? I mean, I look at Elijah and I say, man, I wish I had the kind of faith to stand alone in front of people, surrounded by people who are not just against me, but against my God, and call upon God and see fire from heaven come down and engulf them. One of my favorites is the prophet Elisha. He is probably my favorite prophet, Elisha, of the story in Second uh, Kings 2. We're not going to read it all, but I'll just tell you some teenagers, you know those snotty-nosed teenagers who like to be real sarcastic, they, they were making fun of him. They were jeering him, and they were calling him a bald head. And Elisha calls out a bear from the, the woods to come and maul the teenagers. <laughs> Love that story as a bald guy. I share with my students that are saying, you better not make fun of my baldness because you never know what will happen. David in 2 Samuel 11. Guys, can we relate to David in 2 Samuel 11? In an age when we're confronted every moment of every day with sexual temptation, 
And we look at David and, and Bathsheba and we think, I can relate to the struggles of that. And then, of course, my personal favorite, Peter. Peter, the strongest advocate for Jesus Christ and the one who denied him three times. Boy, I can relate to that every day. And then, of course, uh, the one that we're talking about, Jonah. We're not going to go through each one of these points because, uh, again, I want to be sensitive. Is this a church that really cares about beating the Baptist to the buffet? Okay. All right. I heard a no. I see some guys in the back shaking. Absolutely yes. So we'll, we'll be sensitive to that. Uh, again, reviewing kind of what Josh and Armani have done such a great job in Jonah 1, 2, and 3, talking about why Jonah is relevant for us. And God invites us into this exciting, risky mission and our response to that. What do we do when the risky call of God come and it doesn't match what we want to do? Uh, what do we do with that? The call was clear, but Jonah chose to go uh, in the opposite direction. I found this uh, illustration, which I think is really, really cool. Tarshish, where Jonah was set to sail for when he left Joppa, was 2,500 miles away. Okay? Nineveh was 550 miles away. Now, I want you to think about that for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you ever been called to something and want to go 2,500 miles the opposite direction? I have. I'll share some of that with you this morning. And the other is, uh, as Josh was talking about last week, when Jonah got spat up onto the shore, he had a ways to go. You think about 550 miles, we don't know that he was spat up right at Joppa. We don't know where he was spat up, but we know that he had a journey. And along that journey, don't you know that God was working on his heart, preparing him for uh, this mission that was extremely risky uh, to go to Nineveh? Even in our disobedience, God has a desire to bring others to him, even others that we think are not worthy. Uh, I loved, Armani, your, your sermon with Jonah chapter 2 on the five Ds. We find in chapter 2 the distress, the despair, the discipline, the de- declaration, and the deliverance. That uh, was a great message uh, and reminds me that you know, we're, we are super critical of Jonah sometimes, but that he was a religious guy. Uh, that he knew who God was, probably knew him too well. And that was his problem. And then this line, say it with me again, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah chapter 3, we're not going to read all 10 verses of Jonah chapter 3. I'd invite you to turn there, though, because this is where, we're, where we are going to be again. Uh, this is the substitute file that I pulled out after Josh already preached on Jonah chapter 3 last week. And uh, I have just some stories and basically four points that I want to leave with you today relative to the story of Jonah and how it relates to us and really how it relates to me. Because if you look in your bulletin, you'll see the title of the message this morning is, I am Jonah. I can really relate to Jonah. And as I listened to, to, to Josh preach, it kind of hurt me a little bit last week because he said there's nothing about Jonah he wants his kids to emulate. And I'm like, well, that's me. 
at times. That's me at times. So faithful to things that don't matter and so unfaithful to a call of God that is very clear. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. And I love that because it really mirrors a lot in my own life. I think Jonah was asking this question. Whoops, that thing's quick. Look at those transitions. That is so sweet. Why Nineveh? Why Nineveh? Don't you know Jonah? Of, I mean, he was saying, God, of all places. Why Nineveh? We heard last week some, some, uh, some details about Nineveh. It was not just a very large, expansive city. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they were probably the most brutal people of the day. Uh, I shared some very detailed information with you about their brutality, and he wasn't exaggerating. Uh, Everyone around feared Assyria, and everyone around who was not Assyrian did not go to Nineveh. Because the context in which they lived was radically different than the context that Jonah was being called into. Well, I've asked this question. Why Memphis? Why Memphis? You don't have to watch the news much. You don't have to read the papers much. Uh, You don't have to interact with people both here and outside of here where people say, why Memphis? It's a broken place. It's a place full of despair. At times, it's a brutal place. It's a place where we as Christians have been called to come and either live in fear and accept the reputation that others think of this place or to actively engage with God in his work in this broken place. Now, I'm by no way comparing Memphis, Tennessee to Nineveh. There's no comparison. And there's so much goodness in this city that doesn't even compare to Nineveh that it's not even funny. But I can tell you from where I came from, and I can tell you from my life experiences, many times I have had the question come to the forefront of my mind, why Memphis? You see, I was raised in God's country. I said that, God's country. Uh, I understand that the, some of the teens got back last night from a trek. We heard about that uh, during the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, Salida, the town in which they stayed part of that time, is not far from the home where I grew up in Rifle, Colorado. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Colorado. Keep your hand up if you would affirm that that is God's country. Okay? It's the most beautiful place on the planet at least the western half of the state. The eastern half is where God rested during creation. But I saw that map of, of Jonah's distance from where he was supposed to go and where he went, and I thought, this is my Tarshish. Okay? Uh, it's a little over 1,200 miles, 1,276 miles to drive to my hometown from here. And if I got on a plane to fly, it would be over a 1,000 miles. And there have been many times in this journey that I've had that I have wanted to 
go to my Tarshish. This is Rifle, Colorado. Is that not the coolest little western town you've ever seen? Rifle, Colorado. There is a place legitimately called Rifle, Colorado. I was raised there. Town of about, oh, four to 5,000 people, uh, right at the foothills of the Rockies. And it has at my fingertips all the things that I love to do. Hunt, fly fish, hike, mountain bike. And there's no humidity. Okay? No humidity. Growing up in Rifle, Colorado, I can tell you that um, the cultural context in which I grew up is radically different than Memphis, Tennessee. And so the first call that I had to Memphis, Tennessee, right out of college, I came to teach and coach and uh, spent five years here. And I can tell you that my response to that was exactly like Jones. I applied to 12 different graduate schools to pursue my Ph.D. in history, not because I loved history, not because I wanted to pursue a Ph.D., because I was looking for anything possible to get me out of Memphis. Be really upfront with you. Twelve schools, guess how many turned me down? All twelve. One school, the University of Arkansas, accepted me on a provisional basis, on a probationary basis to come. I'm like, I'm in. I'll learn that ooh, pig, suey thing if I have to. I'm not wearing a pig hat, but I will go to the university. And we moved to the University of Arkansas, and I can tell you that that was purely a response, not for a desire to teach college history, which I learned after the first year was not what I wanted to do. And so the call of the Lord came to me a second time. I just had to throw this picture in here to prove this is God's country. The maroon bells outside of Aspen, and you can see we were there on one rare day when the reflection of the mountain comes off the lake. And I took this picture. I didn't pull this off the internet like I did most of the other ones. This is my Tarshish. Point number one. Our place does not determine our purpose. You say, well... But we talk so much about Memphis, Tennessee, and, and, and the, the call of God to partner with the kingdom in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, the place, Memphis, Tennessee, is important because of the brokenness that is here, but it is not as important as our call. Because I believe that uh, God's call for all of us and his commitment to redeem, his, com- his commitment to reconcile, transcends place. By place, I don't just mean by where you live. I mean by what you do. Because for so long, I thought I was convinced that I had to be a missionary. I had to go to some foreign land to really fulfill God's call. The older I get, the more I realize that I don't care if you're an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a mom, Your call is the same. Our commitment to that call and our answer to that call is what matters. The call transcends place. 
The reputation of a place or of a people should not be a hindrance to our obedience. I can tell you whenever I go home and I tell people where I live or whenever I go to Nashville (laughs) and I tell people where I live, come on now, you share this experience with me? Memphis? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, so glad you're there. Thankful that you're there. Memphis. World Magazine recently, or not recently, about uh, 10 years ago, did a, a very similar story to what Forbes Magazine does. Forbes ranks cities as the best place to live, you know, and they rank things like health care and jobs and uh, cost of living, and they rank the cities as this is where you want to live, this is the best, and this is the worst. You know the list that we're always on that's not very high up. World Magazine, a Christian magazine, did the opposite, and they said basically, what were the what's the bottom dwellers? And we're going to make those our number ones because that's where God's call is for people to go. So we shouldn't always want to live in places like my modern day Tarshish, where things are very nice and beautiful and comfort and convenient. We should live where God is calling us, and in that magazine article, it was interesting because uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico was number one, and Memphis was number two, where I live. called me and he said, well, I guess we're being faithful. I said, I said, I guess so. I'll meet you in Colorado in July and we'll fly fish and talk about it. His redemptive plan is not bound our limitations, our inadequacies, or our prejudices. I'm going to repeat that. Redemptive plan is not bound by our limitations, our inadequacies, or our prejudices. Say it with me. Salvation comes from the Lord. Point two, our calling is more important than our comfort. Our calling is more important than our comfort. I'm, I'm convinced that we live in a country that is addicted to comfort. If you traveled outside of our country, any at all, you would agree with that. We are addicted to our comfort. Jonah was so well known. He was a professional prophet, guys. If you look back in 2 Kings, during the reign of Jeroboam, Jonah was the prophet when Jeroboam reclaimed the boundaries of Israel that had been lost. Jonah grew up in a good home. Jonah received the best religious training and and education probably available to uh, Jewish people at that time. Jonah had a lot to risk because professional prophets, if if what they said didn't come true, lost their jobs. (laughs) And the reputations. Jonah was addicted to his comfort and his surroundings. God has never promised that his call would be easy. Let me, let me say, not only has he never promised that, he promises us that his call will be hard. And in a country addicted to comfort, we don't like to hear that. But God calls us to the uncomfortable in order for his mission to 
be fulfilled. As Josh said last week, it was very simple what God said to Jonah, get up and go. Get up and go. I'm going to share with you just a little bit about my comfort. (laughs) Warning, this is the cry part. Menly men, if you need to leave, you can. This is my crew. This is my posse. These are my people. If you start up in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see my mom and dad. The one on the bottom there is my brother and my sister, so that's the five of us. That's where it all began in Rifle, Colorado. In a very homogeneous town, church, culture, in a very comfortable middle-class, lower-middle-class family, in a family that was committed to raising children to go to church, and in some ways in a family that was committed to teaching religion, in a family that loved people. And um, I was blessed to meet the most incredible woman in college, and she lived in Memphis, Tennessee. So I married Memphis. And this woman uh, is, is, she's my rock. Her faith is so much stronger than mine, it's not even funny. And she is the mother of our three children. And the blessings of those three children, what they've been, meant to my life. But in 2009, our family changed dramatically. And our comfort was shaken to its core when a dude named Abimey Finney came to live with us. I don't know if you notice in some of those pictures, one thing looks not like the others. Abimey showed up a 260-pound African-American orphan who in an eight-month period in his sophomore year Lost his mother at 33, and his grandmother, who was supposed to be his guardian after his mother died. And Abimey showed up on our doorstep. I had known Abimey for his whole life because I was at New Hope when he was at New Hope, but Abimey came to live with our family, and no one else really knew him. He had dreads when he came to live with us. Let's do this timeline together uh, President Obama was elected in November of 2008. He took the White House in January of 2009, the same month that Abimey came to live with us. My parents from western Colorado come to stay with us in Memphis, Tennessee in February of 2009. And Abimey is noted for wearing, you have you seen those big brown t-shirts with Obama's face on it? around the house with dreads, 260, and my dad from western Colorado, who needless to say didn't vote for Obama. His name is Abiami, and for the, first, the whole week my parents were there, my dad, every morning over coffee, where's Obama? 
every morning with Dad. I think he's in the White House because he was just <laughs> elected. Oh, you know what I mean. Uh, what, how, how do you say it? How do you, uh, Ab- 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 oh, Obama, he'd say. Obama came to live in our house uh, in January of 2009. We became legal guardians of Obama Finney, and he became my son. My son, Cole, had always prayed that we would have one more kid and that it would be a boy. I said, you better be careful what you pray for. Not quite what you expected. When Abimey came to live with us, he brought with him, obviously, a radically different cultural, ethnic, racial background. Grew up in poverty in Memphis, Tennessee. Was living in a, uh, the other side of a duplex by himself at 16 years old when his grandmother died. And I'm not telling you that story to make the Williamson family glorified. I'm telling you that story because this was the belly of the fish for me. This was the belly of the fish for me. When God said, I've told you to go to Memphis, but I not only told you to go to Memphis, I don't want you to live in the comfort that you're accustomed to. I want you to join me in this kingdom mission. I'm going to show you how to do it. And he brought me this kid. Who I was with yesterday on the lake. He's uh, 23 years old. He's engaged to be married on December the 3rd to a white, beautiful, lovely young lady from Van Buren, Arkansas, whose father is a state patrolman. So, when I see all the scenes that I see on TV about a Brit, about Black Lives Matter, and I see policemen being brutally murdered for no reason, it means something different to me. Because that could be my kid. Or that could be my kid's future father-in-law. And God said to me in the belly of that fish, it's not going to be comfortable. You have to be faithful. You see, our religion is less important than our response. Point number three, our religion is less important than our response. We worry, like Jonah worried, so much about being right that we're paralyzed by being obedient. We worry so much about uh, being determined to be right that it overshadows our call to be faithful. You see, Jonah's religion, his upbringing, his life experiences, his surroundings shaped his view of other people. And like Josh said, he did not love the Ninevites. Why? He did not know a Ninevite. He had no personal relationship with the Ninevite because the world in which he lived was very comfortable, very comfortable, very much like him. And I can tell you that that shocked my world. I believe 
family that we focus so much on our religion that we forget about our response. Our experiences are formative, folks. And I don't want, I don't want to sell those short. I love my family. I love my upbringing. I love my modern-day Tarshish where I'm going to run should a comet hit Memphis. But they're inadequate. They're inadequate. And only by God's Spirit and God's power and our interaction with other people on a relational level will we ever fully understand God's call. And that means you got to be uncomfortable. Because, boy, it's easy to hang out with people who are like you, isn't it? Who affirm you, who affirm whatever it is culturally about you that's, th- that's similar to them. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, not our message, not our comfort, will transform hearts. Say this with me again. Salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord's call must transcend our experiences and our judgments. This is the church I grew up in. Isn't it cute? Rifle Church of Christ. And I can tell you, like Josh just alluded to last week, that most of the sermons I heard out of this place were about trying to be right and not responding accordingly. Again, I love this place. I was baptized in that building. Many of my fondest memories and formative memories of my faith were in that little church. But it was insufficient because I had to interact with people who were not like me before I realized how God's call transcends place and how God's call is so much more important than being right. Now, this, in this church, um, uh, the youth group just got back on a trek, right? And, and I think the youth group goes to Panama, is that correct? And, and the youth group has all these, you know who the youth group was at Rifle Church of Christ? Me and Sonny Lawson. And our classroom was a broom closet, and Lee Bornschlegel was our teacher. And teens, this is a word for you that uh, you can't allow the coolness of activity and, and what's fun and what's exciting to be the only thing that shapes your faith journey. And there's a real temptation in this place and in every church to think that we live in Memphis, Tennessee, that our mission is so only focused on the things that make the news that we forget about our neighbor. I want you to think about the neighborhood that you live in, and I want you to do a mental check to see how many of them you can name. So we're real quick to run to Honduras like me or to Ghana like me because it's easy to share the gospel there and to proclaim a message of God's salvation there, but I don't know my neighbor two houses down his name. Don't allow the call of God to only be so focused on the outside that we forget about what's right here. 
And there's some uh, reconciliation that may need to happen in your lives with people sitting right next to you. And you may know their names. Uh, They might be family members. And again, we're so quick to answer the call of God to go do big things for the kingdom, and yet we're not willing to be reconciled to people in our own families. Don't forget that those things are not insignificant. They are as impactful and powerful as the other big things that we tend to focus on. Last point. Our anticipation should not forestall our participation. Raise your hand if you're excited for the kingdom to come and for us to be in heaven together forever, for eternity. (laughs) Never, ever having to worry about any of the crud that we deal with every day. Keep them up. If you are excited to go to heaven and you were baptized into Jesus' blood and you believe that you are going to heaven, raise your hand and keep it up and be excited about that. That's anticipation. There's nothing wrong with anticipation. But it can't forestall our participation while we wait. You know, I'm so excited to be in heaven, I, I, I can't stand it. And, and the older I get, the more excited I get, I guess because I can't get out of bed in the morning without something hurting. And I'm realizing it's really closer than I think, Okay. But there was a time in my life when I wasn't that excited about it because I've got all these things I want to do. And folks, sometimes heaven is too much here. Can you relate to that with me? Okay, well, uh, uh, Jesus, I'd love for you to come back, but if you could wait until my daughter's wedding, just right after that, I'd be fine. Or I really want to see my kid graduate from college. Now, that might take a while, God, so you're going to have to wait a while until my kid graduates from college. We have all these life experiences that we put up as being so important to us that we're kind of disappointed in thinking about, well, what if God were to come right now? I was standing in a lake in Colorado fly fishing, and I was like, just give me another hour, okay? But the anticipation of the kingdom returning needs to be real in our lives. And it doesn't need to forestall the participation. Now, you think about the command and the message that was given to Jonah in Jonah chapter 3, the command, get up and go, and the message, 10 words long. It wasn't Jonah's polished speaking. Jonah, it wasn't Jonah's religious upbringing. It wasn't really Jonah's message. What was it that turned the hearts of people in Nineveh to God? It was the spirit of a living God. And so we think, we're, uh, I'm, really not a, I'm not a preacher. That's why I was so scared this morning. I'm not a preacher. We think, I, I, I don't know how to really study the Bible with somebody. I, I don't know if I know the right steps to tell them. I, I need a flannel board. I need a video. I need something. I don't know. There's two graduate school professors sitting out here right now looking at me, and I'm thinking, I haven't said one Hebrew word today. Not one. It's the spirit of a living God that brings salvation. Not your message, not my message. And if we wait for a comfortable time, if we wait for just the right place, if we wait for just the right message, 
we're forestalling our participation. And I want to encourage you that as you go through every interaction in your life, you're getting gas right after church, or you're going to go eat, how does your interaction with the waitress reflect the kingdom? You don't have to quote scripture. You don't have to invite them to church. How do you make them feel? You connect with them in a way that they understand that you appreciate all that they do for you. It's very practical. The last point, if the, okay, I'm going to try to get the terminology correct. There are prayer partners, is that right, who know where to go stand? If you're a prayer leader, what's the term? Okay, thank you. You can go stand where you are, praise team, if you want to get ready. Our place does not determine our purpose. Our calling is more important than our comfort. Our religion is less important than our response. And our anticipation should not forestall our participation. And this is my last point. The Lord God, the living God, the living God, who is alive and well in the midst of our brokenness, can and will use whoever he wants, wherever and whenever he wants, to fulfill his purpose. The living God will and can use whoever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, to fulfill his purpose. Will it be you? Say this with me and then we'll sing. Salvation comes from the Lord.